0: Coinbase and ICE are tracking cryptocurrency users. Important research on fingerprinting and AI tons of big news from Mulvad, and much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 93, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past two weeks. I am Nathan from The New Oil. Henry is away this week, but will return very soon. A quick note, I think I am recovering from a little bit of a cold or something myself, so I apologize my voice is a little scratchy or weird. My nose is kind of stuffy. It's just kind of a weird day for me, so bear with me. We want to remind you that if you are looking for a way to support Surveillance Report and what we do here and keep us going, bringing you the news, the best way to do that is through Patreon or Monero. If you subscribe on Patreon, the benefits are that you can support us in a recurring fashion. It's kind of autopilot for you and you get cool perks like there's no promo segment like this. There's a Patreon only Q&A. There's a list of show notes. If you want to support us more privately, there is Monero, which is not being tracked by Coinbase, as we will talk about in the first story, Monero is basically digital cash. Whether you prefer fiat currency or cryptocurrency, those are both good ways to support us. We see all the donations, they help very much. Thank you so much for your support. With that, let's get into our highlight story. Cryptocurrency titan Coinbase is providing geo-tracking data to ICE. ICE is the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement here in the US, their border patrol, basically. And this comes from a document that was obtained by Jack Polson from the watchdog group Tech Inquiry and shows the nature of a $1.36 million contract between Coinbase and ICE. In this contract, ICE now has access to the Coinbase Tracer, formerly known as Coinbase Analytics, which allows transaction tracing, including transaction demixing and shielded transaction analysis. The contract also includes historical geo-tracking data, although the source and extent of this is unclear. And ICE, interestingly, was not required to sign an end-user license agreement, which is that really annoying document, the terms of service that nobody ever reads, that tells you what you legally can and cannot do with this product. I guess that means they can do anything they want with it legally. Quoting the article, when asked about the ICE contract and the data involved, a Coinbase spokesperson directed the intercept to a disclaimer on its website, stating Coinbase Tracer sources its information from public sources and does not make use of Coinbase user data. They did not answer any questions about how ICE is using Coinbase Tracer, nor if the company imposed any limits to that use. Color me skeptical. I already do not believe this story. The article goes on to outline how Coinbase has been trying so hard to score government contracts for years. So the article does list a small handful of coins that are being traced specifically like Bitcoin ether. And there were a couple other ones that I personally have never heard of. I'm not really a big crypto guy. I think the moral here, like I said earlier, Monero. Monero is not one of the ones that's being traced. At this point in time, there's no evidence to suggest that Monero can be traced or is subject to coin uh, chain analysis. So Bitcoin is not private by default. We've been preaching that for quite some time around here. And I think we're gonna see more and more stories like this as we go. Next up is data breaches. And we got quite a few to go through in the last couple weeks. First off is kind of a big one. The California Department of Justice data breach exposed the personal information of all concealed carry permit holders across the entire state. This included names, addresses, criminal identification, index number, and license types of all concealed carry permit holders in California. There were not a lot of details in the article over how this happened. They just said that it related to the new firearms dashboard portal, which I guess is... Probably like an online portal for managing your um, concealed carry permit and stuff like that. Very unfortunate. Next, an internet scan found 1.6 million secrets leaked by websites. Security researchers have apparently discovered more than 1.6 million secrets leaked by websites, including more than 395,000 exposed by 1 million popular domains. The first of two mammoth scans focused on 1 million most heavily trafficked websites, and it yielded about 395,000 three quarters of which were related to Google services like reCAPTCHA, Cloud, or OAuth. Phase two scanned around 500 million hosts and surfaced an additional 1.2 million secrets, most commonly pertaining to Stripe, followed by reCAPTCHA, Google Cloud API, AWS, and Facebook. A majority of exposures across both phases occurred in the front-end JavaScript files. Most of these were served through content delivery networks like Squarespace CDN. All that to say, security's hard. And uh, JavaScript is risky and just be careful because you never know what could be leaked as all this data is passing back and forth across the internet. Our next data breach this was kind of a big one the headline says the hangover japan city admits data lost after night out a japanese city has been left with more than a headache after admitting a contractor lost a usb containing personal data on all 460,000 residents during a night out this included names genders addresses birthdays and other personal information of all the city's residents as well as tax data and bank account information now the plus side here is the usb disk was encrypted so this data is Hopefully safe, assuming they used a good encryption algorithm and it had a decent enough password. I guess it could be worse. Could be a lot better too. The next story says Strava app flaw revealed runs of Israeli officials at secret bases. I don't know if we've covered a story like this before on previous reports, but I have definitely heard similar stories like this. A security vulnerability in the fitness app Strava allowed suspicious figures to identify and track security personnel working at secretive bases in Israel. Information on about 100 individuals who exercised at six bases was viewable. Strava said it had addressed the issue. So basically, I think the particular story I'm thinking of may have also been Strava, but sometimes these fitness apps will allow you to like map your runs and stuff. And... Sometimes when people do that, like military personnel, it gives you an outline of the base and what some of the roads are and maybe what some of the trails are and the perimeters and stuff like that. Strava said they have fixed the issue and hopefully the soldiers will think twice about using this kind of stuff. Our next story is an interesting one. It says security flaws in internet connected hot tubs exposed owners, personal data. This comes from the Jacuzzi Smart Tub app, which has been downloaded more than 10,000 times on Google Play, and it could be abused to access the personal info of owners, mainly name and email. This affects other Jacuzzi brands like Sundance Spa, D1 Spas, and Thermo Spas. And according to the article, this app could be used to do things like turn the jets on and off, change light colors and stuff like that. So I guess the main concern here would be phishing with these names and emails. Our next data breach comes from Amazon, where it says leaky access tokens exposed Amazon photos of users. Theoretically, with exposed tokens, an attacker could have accessed users' personal data from a number of different Amazon apps, not just photos, but also, for example, Amazon Drive. Do you guys know Amazon had a drive? Because I didn't until I read this article. They also could have performed a ransomware attack, locking up or permanently deleting photos, documents, and more. So this came from researchers from Chexmarks who described how the tokens leak naturally. Like, they didn't even do anything special. This was just part of... The process, the simple version is quote, think of it as a password being sent to other apps in plain text, unquote. But of course you can read the technical version in this article. They give a fuller breakdown of what happened. Our next couple of data breaches are about rogue employees. The first one is an update. An ex-Amazon employee has been convicted over a data breach of 100 million Capital One customers. The employee was accused of using her knowledge as a software engineer working in the retail giant's cloud division, AWS, to identify cloud storage servers that were allegedly misconfigured to gain access to the cloud stored data used by Capital One. That included names, dates of birth, social security numbers, email addresses, and phone numbers, and other sensitive financial information such as credit scores, limits, and balances. About 1 million Canadians were also affected, and she also access cloud data of more than 30 other companies. She will be sentenced in September, but she has been found guilty. The other one comes from OpenSea, which is an NFT trading platform. An employee of Customer.io, which is the platform's email delivery vendor, downloaded email addresses belonging to OpenSea users and newsletter subscribers. Since the email addresses stolen in the incident were also shared with an unauthorized external party, the head of security urged potentially affected users to be alert for phishing attempts impersonating OpenSea. And they said if you have shared your email with OpenSea in the past, you should assume you were impacted. And our last data breach is just an update. Cafe Press has been fined. $500,000 for a breach affecting 23 million users. Residual Pumpkin Entity, which is the parent company that owned Cafe Press at the time, stored its customers' social security numbers and password reset answers in plain text and longer than necessary. The company also failed to apply available protections and respond to security incidents. After its servers were breached multiple times, it tried to cover up major data breach, resulting from its sloppy security practices. The ruling says they must also implement two-factor, minimize data collected and retained, and encrypt all social security numbers and alert victims and offer information on protection. With that, we will move into companies where Google is notifying Android users that were targeted by a hermit government grade spyware. Security researchers at Lockout recently tied a previously unattributed Android mobile spyware dubbed hermit to Italian software house RCS lab. Google threat researchers have confirmed much of Lookout's findings and are notifying Android users whose devices were compromised by the spyware. Hermit is a commercial spyware known to be used by governments with victims in Kazakhstan and Italy. The spyware uses various modules to collect call logs, record ambient audio, redirect phone calls, and collect photos, messages, emails, and the device's precise location from a victim's device. It works on all Android versions and also tries to root an infected Android device. It requires a user to click a link and download it so it's not zero click. And there is an iOS version which changed six vulnerabilities, two of which were new, to sideload, which... I think means that restarting your phone would have probably erased the malware. So if you are an iOS user, be sure to restart your phone about once a week, just to be safe. That's a great malware defense for iOS users. Our next story is very high on the creepy scale. It says Alexa will soon be able to read stories as your dead grandma. Amazon announced a spate of new and upcoming features for the company's smart assistant. The most head-turning of the bunch was a potential new feature that can synthesize short audio clips into longer speech. In the scenario presented at the event, the voice of a deceased loved one, in this case a grandmother, is used to read a grandson a bedtime story. They noted that using the new technology, the company is able to accomplish some very impressive audio output using just one minute of speech. And this of course has very disturbing implications for deepfakes. Which is why we're sharing it here. And Henry noted there is literally an episode of Black Mirror about this. So probably not good when you're imitating that show our next story comes from the markup who said this children's hospital network was giving kids information to facebook so the Nemours children's health one of the largest pediatric networks in the u.s serving nearly half a million families had a facebook tracker tool on the appointment scheduling page as well as a handful of other third-party trackers quoting the article with meta's tracker we found the Nemours site sending facebook visitors ip addresses information about specific doctor and specialty the patient was scheduling an appointment with and in some cases the first and last name of the child the appointment was four. After the markup reached out to Nemers, many of the trackers on the scheduling site were removed but the trackers from Facebook, Google and Salesforce remained. They later removed the Facebook tracker after I think a couple weeks ago, we covered the markup did a story very similar to this one. And it was after that, that they finally removed the Facebook tracker. In May, the main site contained nine trackers and 10 third party cookies, while the scheduling site had 25 ad trackers and 38 third party cookies, including companies like Facebook, Amazon, Google, Oracle, MediaMath and LiveRamp. Very unsettling. And as we covered in that previous article a few weeks ago, a lot of these uh, metapixels and these trackers will submit not just your IP address and information about you, some of them will submit content, including in password protected areas of the website. So this is really just not okay, especially when we're talking about medical stuff. Now on the topic of Facebook, Meta has settled a lawsuit with the Justice Department over an ad-serving algorithm. This was pertaining to the Fair Housing Act, and the settlement amount is $115,000. The lawsuit was the Justice Department's first challenging algorithmic bias under the FHA, and it claimed that the algorithm Meta uses to determine which Facebook users receive housing ads relied in part on characteristics like race, color, religion, sex, disability, familial status and national origin, all of which are protected under the Fair Housing Act. Outside investigations have provided evidence in support of the Justice Department's claims, including a 2020 paper from Carnegie Mellon that showed the biases in Facebook's ad tools exacerbated socioeconomic inequalities. Meta said that under the settlement with the Justice Department, it will stop using an advertising tool for housing ads known as Special Ad Audience, which allegedly relied on the discriminatory algorithm. They will develop a new system over the next six months. That system will be deployed by the end of the year. It will be audited by a third party, and it will inform the Justice Department whenever they add any new targeting options. Our next story comes from T-Mobile. So if you're a T-Mobile subscriber, be sure to listen up. T-Mobile has started selling your app data to advertisers. And I know this sounds really familiar. This is a common theme with them. So T-Mobile has officially launched a new ad platform known as T-Mobile Advertising Solutions. It aggregates your mobile application usage and sells it to advertisers. T-Mobile uses network-level tools to track the apps that people use on their phones, and it then anonymizes and aggregates that data to lump you into various personas or cohorts. For example, if you regularly use Expensify and Airline apps on your phone, T-Mobile could identify you as a business traveler for the purposes of advertising. This program has been in testing for the past year as T-Mobile Marketing Solutions, but it is now live with a new name. T-Mobile does not currently collect app data on iOS users fearing it could run afoul of Apple's privacy rules for Android users. You can opt out using their official Magenta marketing platform choices app. Alternatively, the digital advertising Alliance offers an app that lets you opt out of numerous trackers, including T-Mobile advertising solutions, which is listed under the old name T-Mobile marketing solutions. So it's pretty sucky that they make you use an app for that, but that is one option. And next, we'll go to research. We just have three stories this week, but the first one is really horrifying. It says new algorithm can predict future crime in a week in advance with 90% accuracy. This comes from the University of Chicago, and it does this by learning patterns from public data on violent and property crimes. The lead author was careful to note that the tool's accuracy does not mean it should be used to direct law enforcement policy. Police departments, for example, should not use it to swarm neighborhoods proactively to prevent crime. Instead, it should be added to the toolbox of urban policies and policing strategies to address crime, which to me sounds like the same thing. In my cynical personal opinion, This is totally going to be abused, and I'm not happy about it. Also, there's a whole movie about this, too. It's called Minority Report. Great movie, by the way, really holds up. Our next story says Google Chrome extensions can be fingerprinted to track you online. This is not exactly new for our veteran listeners, but it's a good reminder. To prevent detection, the researcher says that some extensions use a secret token that is required to access a web resource. However, the researcher discovered that a resource timing comparison method can still be used to detect if the extension is installed. Resources of protected extensions will take longer to fetch than resources of extensions that are not installed. By comparing the timing differences, you can accurately determine if the protected extensions are installed. And the researcher actually made a site that demonstrates this, and you can find that in the article. The moral of this story, keep your plugins to a minimum. We've always talked about how plugins can be used to fingerprint you. The only plugin we really recommend at this point is uBlock Origin, maybe your password manager if you want to go that route, or Tor Snowflake if you want to go ahead and do that. You don't need Privacy Badger, DuckDuckGo, MulVad, Decentralize, Disconnect, Ghostry, Cookie, Auto-Delete, all of that can be done either in uBlock or in the browser these days. So try to keep your plugins to a minimum. And then on that note, just a quick website, http.james fingerprinting experiment. This experiment collects data about your browser for research purposes. It won't be shared with third parties, This is basically somebody's site to demonstrate how fingerprinting is really effective and it can even work without JavaScript in some cases. So according to the instructions, you open the site both in a regular tab and in a private browser, and then you compare the hashes. And if they're the same, then you know that even in private mode, you're being tracked, which again is not really news to veteran listeners, but just your friendly reminder that this stuff can be used to track you. Fingerprinting is very complex and detailed and hard to fight so just do everything you can to put yourself off to a good start with that we will move into politics our first story says online privacy bill clears early hurdle in house lawmakers approve the bill the american data privacy and protections act on a voice vote with no dissent it will now move to the full energy and commerce committee for a vote the bill still faces a long and potentially difficult path particularly in the senate Several members have said further refinement would be needed in other aspects of the bill, such as its provisions for private lawsuits over violations. So basically, we've got a somewhat decent online privacy bill that's passed their first roadblock on turning into a law and protecting American data privacy. So hopefully we'll see something good come out of that. Our next story says, hidden anti-cryptography provisions in internet antitrust bills. This comes from Bruce Schneier, who is a very respected cryptography expert. Uh, He's actually invented one or two forms of encryption himself. And he is talking about two bills that are currently being debated in Congress and explains how they have clauses that would break end-to-end encryption. The two bills in question are S-2922, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act. And the other is S-2710, the Open Markets Act. Basically, both of these bills have overly vague words. And he breaks it down in this blog post. If I was not losing my voice, I would read it to you guys more, but basically just there's several parts where the wording is overly vague and overly broad and pretty much anything could be considered a national security intelligence or law enforcement risk and would allow end to end encryption to be a factor in their legal liabilities as companies. So not good. He says that overall, these bills are a net win. But he's very concerned about these specific clauses and hopes that they will get reworded. Next, from Australia, domestic violence survivors get government support to scan for spyware and hidden cameras. So if I understood the article correctly, this is an optional federal program in Australia that helps women and probably men too, to scan their devices for any evidence of stalkerware. Personally, I think that's a win is, as long as they're not like logging any of this data or like, making a registry of people. It could be a great opportunity for people who are not tech savvy to go and find out if they're being spied on by a significant other or domestic partner or anything of that nature. Our next story comes from Italy, and this is also a win. Italy's data watchdog has been the latest to warn over the use of Google Analytics. The Italian Data Protection Authority has found a local web publisher's use of the popular analytics tool to be non-compliant with EU data protection rules owing to the user data being transferred to the US. They have given the publisher in question 90 days to fix the compliance violation. But the decision has wider significance as it also warned other local websites that are using Google Analytics to take note and check their own compliance. So this is good. A few months ago when I think it was Belgium who started this and ruled that Google Analytics potentially violates GDPR. I think we were kind of "Eh, let's see what happens. This could be good. This could be nothing. And so far it looks like it's good. France came out against it a couple weeks ago. And I think Spain before them or maybe recently but um, I don't know Italy's like the third or fourth country to do it and it's really cool to see more and more countries stepping up and taking that that position and that's a win for user privacy for sure and our final political story India delays strict new VPN rules by three months so this is just an update in the ongoing India VPN saga for those who are just joining us India is basically saying that all consumer VPN providers in the country have to log subscriber information. Some of the companies have said they're just gonna stop operating in India. Some companies have basically said, we're just gonna keep on business as usual and not keep logs. But a lot of companies are gonna comply. And allegedly this extension is because a lot of those companies have said, this is not enough time for us to put the proper changes in place. So we need more time. So the rules were supposed to go into effect Monday. They will now be pushed back till what? September, something like that. With that, we will move into free and open-source news, and we're going to start with a pretty big story. Mega says it can't decrypt your files, a new proof-of-concept exploit shows otherwise. Quoting the article, researchers say that the architecture Mega uses to encrypt files is riddled with fundamental cryptography flaws that make it trivial for anyone with control of the platform to perform a full-key recovery attack on users once they have logged in a sufficient number of times. With that, the malicious party can decipher stored files or even upload incriminating or otherwise malicious files to an account. These files look indistinguishable from genuinely uploaded data. So Mega has rolled out a fix. So what happened here is this is a gross oversimplification, but basically if you logged in 512 times to your account, that would leak enough other data that someone who's in control of the servers would be able to figure out your decryption key and have access to your data. Now it's worth noting, this only applies to people who control the server. So that would either have to be like, a rogue employee or uh, like a nation state if they issued some kind of court order or something. This isn't a remote hack. And again, Mega has since rolled out a fix. Is this a reason to stop using Mega? I think this this is a threat model question. If you're storing really sensitive data, like maybe like I don't know a backup of your password database or like sensitive documents then yeah you may want to consider moving somewhere else to be totally honest i would argue you shouldn't keep that stuff in the cloud at all having said that i don't think this was malicious on mega's end i think it's just security is hard mega could definitely do better but i think for the average user who's just you know looking for a cloud storage to transfer things between devices or something like that i think mega's probably still fine. I don't want to blow it out of proportion. It's, it's a little concerning, for sure, and it's something you should keep on your radar, but it has been fixed, and it was already a complex attack anyway, so our next few stories all come from Mulvad. The first one says, We are removing the option to create new subscriptions, so Mulvad will no longer accept new recurring subscriptions, and this only affects PayPal and credit cards. If you are an existing subscriber, your subscriptions will expire within the next six months. And from now on, all payments must be made up front, which, by the way, if you have a one time payment, then you're completely unaffected. You're fine. So the goal is ultimately to store less customer data. This is a little bit inconvenient for users. Like now I have to remember to top up my subscription every year, which is kind of annoying. But at the same time, I respect their goal. They're trying to store less data because you can't turn over what you don't have. On that note, Movad's server audit has found no information leakage or logging of customer data. The audit was completed by assured AB. They found no information leakage or logging, found good configurations. They found 21 low or medium severity issues, and they found no high or critical issues. Congratulations, Mulvett. That's good news. And finally, Molvad is experimenting with post-quantum-safe VPN tunnels. I'm going to quote the article. Our latest beta app, version 2022.3-beta1, and some WireGuard servers now support VPN tunnels that protect against attackers with access to powerful quantum computers. The encryption used by WireGuard has no known vulnerabilities. However, the current establishment of a shared secret to use for the encryption is known to be crackable with a strong enough quantum computer. Although strong enough quantum computers have yet to be demonstrated, having post-quantum-secure tunnels today protects against attackers that record encrypted traffic with the hope of decrypting it with a future quantum computer. Currently, they have servers in, they said AUS, I'm not sure if that's Australia or Austria, Germany, Great Britain, Japan, Netherlands, Sweden, and US. So that's really cool. I know I mentioned in the past concern about um, hopefully companies would like work on the upcoming quantum computing age and would try to get a step ahead of that. And I'm really glad to see companies are doing that. So that's really cool. Our next story comes from Brave. Brave Search has passed 2.5 billion queries in their first year, and they are debuting a feature called goggles that allows users to choose their own search rankings. So Brave Search is leaving the beta phase. They're now unstable. And like I said, they are releasing this goggles feature, which are basically just GitHub filters. So they're kind of cool. You can add them yourself. And basically, it just tells Brave, like, either prioritize this or downrank this or remove this. One example is uh Pinterest. You can add a goggle that completely eradicates Pinterest results which I get I think more for proof of concept they have a couple of default goggles that will uprank either left-leaning or right-leaning news sources which could be really helpful if you want to like break out of your your echo chamber and your filter bubble and just see what's going on in other parts of the political world they also made one that like upranks tech blogs and gets rid of all those like click farming websites where i mean I've definitely had this issue, but using that example, if you look up like tech blogs that you wanna follow, you find all these websites that are like top 25 tech blogs and they're all like big, well-known creators. Well, maybe you wanna follow some of the smaller ones or maybe you just don't wanna see those stupid websites. So this is potentially really cool, potentially really bad, I'm not gonna lie. That's one of my initial concerns about it is it may just reinforce existing echo chambers, but at the same time, you know, people like to be in control of their own content. I think that's cool that Brave is giving you that ability. So yeah. And finally, Thunderbird 102 has been released. The biggest thing here is a major visual overhaul. So if you're one of those people who's like, yeah, Thunderbird's kind of ugly. It looks kind of outdated, blah, blah, blah. Definitely check it out. It, it Like when I first opened it, I noticed right away, I'm like, oh, oh, Thunderbird's changed. And it... It's not a huge difference in my opinion, but it's it's a little cleaner, it's a little brighter, it's a little more modern looking. So this may be something that might interest you now, if the UI has always been your complaint. They have also added or possibly improved, I'm not quite sure, an import export wizard for importing and exporting existing emails. And they have added support for Matrix. So if you're a Matrix user, now you can have one more client that you could potentially use. And with that, let's move into Misfits. We just have two quick stories this week. First up, DNS over QUIC is now officially a proposed standard. DOQ has been published as an RFC which is request for comments, meaning that it is likely going to be deployed as an official standard. This article claims that it is already very stable and being rapidly adopted. I think this particular sentence was just kind of a quick summary. Compared to TCP, QUIC is faster, more reliable, and offers more encryption options, and DNS over QUIC inherits all its advantages. To be fair, this piece is mainly a hype, for AdGuard, which makes sense because AdGuard is the one that posted it. It talks about how AdGuard's already adopted this standard and how cool this standard is. So assuming that all of their claims are true about how great this DNS over quick thing is, then that's really cool that we may see another encrypted DNS option here in the near future, one that is allegedly superior. And last but not least, we just wanna leave you guys with a little something to think about. This article comes from Bruce Schneier again, and it says when security locks you out of everything. So this is a story, it's a blog post from a guy whose house burned down and locked him out of everything. Like, he had enough time to get out of the house. He didn't have time to uh, grab his backups, grab his laptop, grab his phone, or any of that. Personally, I'm a big believer that it's impossible to plan for everything. Like, what if Martians invade tomorrow? Have you thought about that one? You should still plan ahead and test your backups. That's a really popular saying. If you haven't tested your backups, you don't have backups, because there could be an issue that you haven't thought about, or a weak point that you haven't considered that you won't know unless you try it. With that, we will jump into the Q&A section. Our first question comes from Eddie, who says, do you have any thoughts on the Lambda Google AI claiming to be sentient? I'm somewhat terrified, to be perfectly honest. Okay, Eddie, don't be scared. From what I have heard from literally every single expert out there, this guy is seeing what he wants to see. For those who don't know, there's a Google engineer who uh, is claiming that the Google chatbot called Lambda has attained sentience, and he is pushing for it to have legal rights as a sentient creature. Here's the thing, every single expert I've heard from in the last like 10 years says that we are so far away from actual sentient AI, it's basically science fiction at this point. I know it seems like it's right around the corner because we've got all these relatively intelligent AIs out there that are doing really impressive things like predicting crime with a 90% accuracy, but the fact is they're not sentient. It's really good at one specific thing and one specific task the idea of having a it's called general ai where it's really good at a lot of things the way the humans are is still a very very far ways off i don't know me personally i don't put any stock in it i'd bet my paycheck it's not true uh i mean i'm sure there's a lambda and i'm sure this guy thinks it's conscious but i don't know i just from all the experts i've heard we are so not even close it's not even worth thinking about almost don't lose any sleep over it the ai overlords are not coming to murder us yet I think we still got a few more years before we get there. Okay, our next question comes from Alan. He says, you guys talk a lot about data breaches, and while a lot of the companies might eventually let us know, it's likely there's data breaches which an individual might be caught up in and that have not been made widely known. How can we know what information is about us, has been leaked or stolen, and is there something an average person should make some kind of active effort to monitor? Well, for one, the most obvious hanging fruit is surveillance report. Uh, We definitely do not catch every single data breach out there, but we try to catch as many as possible, and it is, you're, you're absolutely right, companies don't always own up to it. It's really common for us to say, this hacking group claims they have stolen data from this company, the company denies it, and then like two weeks later, we update you guys and say, yeah, the company finally admitted it because they got backed into a corner and had no choice. As far as like something you guys can monitor on your own, I don't know so much about monitoring. This is why I really preach like proactive defense. We both really preach proactive defense, like not reusing passwords, using two-factor, using different emails from someone like Simple Login or a non-addy. Those are, are really good active defenses to help pr- protect you because you're right. A lot of the time, these companies won't admit this until months after the fact or maybe even years in some cases. So I guess you can like pay attention to things like have I been pwned or I know like Bitwarden and some other password managers use the have I been pwned AI to let you know if your password has been breached. So there's things like that, but really I'd, I think the best you can do is just try to be proactive and try to stay one step ahead of the stuff. And our last question comes from M who says, as part of the Equifax data breach settlement, I have received free credit credit monitoring. My question is, would you take advantage of a free service like this through the credit bureaus? First, I'm not entirely clear on how they're monitoring this information. Second, even if they already have some of this information, should I really provide all of it in one place when the only reason they're giving me the service freely is because they leaked it all in the first place? And then he has a second part I'll get into. Uh, first off, no, I personally don't recommend it. It's useless in my opinion. I've heard some arguments for very narrow situations where it's helpful. But 99% of the time, if you just freeze your credit and add a fraud alert, that's going to do 90% of the work for you. I talk about how to do that on my website, thenewoil.org. I think Henry probably has a video about it. I don't remember seeing one, but he's been making videos for many, many years. So I haven't seen all of his videos. It's super easy. It's free and it's going to stop anybody from opening accounts in your name which is really the main concern with identity theft. I think this credit monitoring is trash, in my opinion, because like he points out in the question, all they're going to do is say, hey, we found your data. And that's only the places they know of. I mean, there's, there's new dark markets and and chat rooms popping up all the time. And then the second part of the question, he says, it honestly feels like we're reaching the limit of usefulness for individually centric advice. And we need to begin to connect with each other and start acting collectively in large numbers to force some sort of political change. I agree. Personal opinion here. I'm sure Henry would agree with this, but I don't want to put words in his mouth. I'm a big believer that laws do help. Now, do they have loopholes? Absolutely. Do they get broken? Obviously, but generally speaking, they do help. I mean, look at, gdpr and everything that's going on with europe and google analytics right now versus the u.s like laws do objectively do something i don't think you should rely completely on laws i do think you should be responsible and take the initiative on your own privacy you should use encrypted messengers encrypted emails and things like that but i i don't think that you should just be a nihilist and this coming from me i believe it or not guys i am incredibly cynical person I don't think you should just be a political nihilist and be like, oh, well, all the politicians are corrupt and they all suck and the laws don't do anything. They get broken all the time, so forget it. Like, no, you should demand better laws. You should push for better politicians. Sometimes we will get lucky and we will have victories. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of all there is to it. I I think you should be proactive and try to make it impossible for companies to violate your privacy, but I think you should take a two-pronged approach. I think you should also support legislation and politicians who want to support your privacy as well. They're not mutually exclusive, guys. You can do both. And that is all of the news for this week. So we had the Coinbase and ICE thing, which is not good. They're tracking crypto users. Use Monero. We had some important research on fingerprinting and AI, and we had a lot of big news out of Mulvad and Brave and just tons of news all around. And as always, we will keep you updated if we learn anything new. So just to remind you guys right now, we have two support methods. We have Patreon and Monero patreon is recurring fiat currency if you want to support us in an ongoing automatic way. And you get perks in return. There's no promo segment like this. You get to be part of the Q and a, you get to get a note section that you can easily browse. If you want to look up a story later something like that, if you would prefer something a little more privacy respecting, there is Monero, which is immune to the Coinbase tracking. Monero is the way to go. Super awesome. We want to thank you guys for listening to surveillance report. Final thing we want to ask of you share the podcast around, make sure you are subscribed give us a rating. If you're listening on a platform that allows that like Apple or Spotify, we want privacy. reach as many people as possible and you can help do that. Thank you guys for bearing with my voice and we will see you guys next week.